Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Week one is finally upon us, EJ. Uh, It's been a long time coming. Uh, A very arduous road to get here, but we are here. Uh, Full disclosure, we are recording this the day before the Thursday kickoff game between uh, the Lions and Chiefs, uh, and we are releasing this the day after that game. So we're we're not going to get to talk about that game today. Assuming this is going live on Friday morning, it's probably all anybody's talking about. We're talking about Sunday and Monday in particular. We are previewing, uh, I don't want to say five best, five most intriguing. Interesting. Interesting games of week one. We've got a whole bunch of really fun stats, uh, you know, some films, some little tidbits. uh, Hopefully not too scorching hot of takes uh, today, but a lot to go over before we get to all that. EJ, how you doing? Ready to be overloaded. I always forget, no matter how much preseason I watch. Uh, we had the whole burst of college ball, week zero and week one. No matter, no matter how much I try and train for watching football, and I know that sounds silly, <laughs> week one of the NFL on Sunday, the full slate is always overwhelming. I always forget like how fast stuff happens, how much stuff happens um, on a given NFL Sunday. And I can't wait. I remember a couple of years ago, we were sitting in the sports book in Vegas during <laughs> week one. And like literally it was every 10 seconds. It was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. You're like it's it's actually uh, it's jaw dropping how how fast uh, it like. And, and again, we're not used to it because we, we go an entire summer without watching football. But uh, that that is always the most jarring experience of the season is to just like have it back. Like you get nothing for six months and then it's all just there. Uh, but it's also one of the most fun Sundays of the year, specifically because of that. Uh, also, one more note before we get to our our first game, because uh, I picked two, EJ picked two, and then we kind of had a joint pick. So we're talking about five games today. But before we get to that, I do want to thank Underdog for helping to make this show possible, not just today, but all season long. Uh, if you have yet to fill out your pick'em slips for this Sunday... Uh, we we have several numbers to go over with you today that you you may or may not find interesting. Uh, and if you've never done a pick'em slip before, as always, you can go to underdogfantasy.com slash bootleg. Uh, whatever your first deposit is, they will match it up to $100. And also, they started doing this recently. EJ, I don't know if you knew this. If you, uh, if you use our link and our code to sign up, you also get access to uh, a special 
of the week. So I think this for week one, I think it's Patrick Mahomes over half a passing yard. So it's about as free a square as you could possibly get. Uh, and so if you sign up with our code, you also get access to that for pickums, um, which means if you're trying to hit on a on a five leg pickum, you you basically have to hit on four now. So uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, if you're interested in trying out pickums, put down ten bucks, get another free ten bucks, go wild. And uh, okay, let's get to our first game. Uh, I I went first because I did the agenda, <laughs> so I took that from you this time. My dealer's first choice. game, yeah, dealer's choice. My first game, Eagles at Patriots. This is this is a game that I've dubbed the snake in the grass because everybody's been on Philly, uh, basically since the NFL schedule was announced. Right, everybody's been on Philly for this. The line is still uh, Eagles favored by four. If you're into that sort of thing, um, I don't think anybody on planet Earth is picking the Patriots to win this game. That being said, there are some schematic nuances, uh, I should say, that uh, that people need to be aware of that might make this game a lot closer than you think. And I would even put the Eagles on upset alert here because the Eagles offense is largely the same, you know, virtually the same pass catchers, obviously the same offensive line, same quarterback, same system, same language, same everything, right? Like it, it is the same offense. And if you go back to last year and you watched this very high-powered offense, the three games where they struggled the most were, A, the NFC Championship game against the Niners, um, also against the Cardinals, not a very good team, but they their offense struggled mightily against them, and then they struggled even more against the Colts, also not a very good team. And it wasn't that the Cardinals and the Colts were some defensive powerhouse like the Niners, it was schematically how they approached the Eagles. If you look at the numbers, uh, again, the Colts only allowed 17, the Cardinals allowed 20. Um, the Colts played cover one, meaning man coverage across the board, single high safety, 53% of the time. The Cardinals didn't play a whole lot of cover one, but they did play a lot of cover three at 37%. So almost 40% of the time they were in cover three. Um, and the 49ers also very near 50% cover three. I think it was 48%. So it's a lot of middle field closed coverages. Colts went more man heavy. The others went more zone heavy. But essentially, uh, they were leaving one safety in the post to kind of give help in that deep post area where Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown tend to do a lot of damage. And they were leaving as many bodies down in the box as humanly possible to make the math more favorable against the run uh, and to also uh, help them out against the RPO game as well. Uh, and and the Eagles struggled against that. Like, you know, the big bad Eagles receiving core did not get a whole lot of separation against the Colts DBs. Like, they held up in man. They sacked Hurts three times. You know, the Cardinals, uh, they, they got an interception in cover three where the hook defender came off and he undercut a crossing route. You know, just very standard match cover three stuff, right? And those particular coverages gave the Eagles a lot of trouble. Uh, and I think it's because teams didn't just sit back uh, and, and, you know, play cover two. And they didn't just sit back and, and play quarter, quarter, half and, and just get run over with death by a thousand paper cuts with inside zone over and over and over again and getting RPO to death over and over and over again. You know, they challenge these receivers. They challenge Hurts to make 
really, really tough throws down the field and to hang in the pocket against tight coverage and not take sacks. And and I think kind of issuing that challenge is really how you have to play against the Eagles or else they're just going to run over you. And so you look at how New England plays defense. Again, they were third overall uh, in cover one last year at 26%. They were 12th in cover three. These very aggressive middle field closed covered structures are what New England does, and they do them better than Indy does. They do them better than Arizona does. You could argue based on the metrics last year, they also do them better than what San Francisco did last year. So I think defensively, from a schematic perspective, this is a lot tougher matchup for Philly than people think. And I would I would not be surprised if New England just kind of drags them down into the mud and makes this a 17-16 type game, just like what the Eagles went through against Indy last year, except the Patriots are a lot better at it than Indy. So would I be shocked if they won? Honestly, no. And I, and I do think that this game is is not going to be a walk in the park for the Eagles, and they might be in for a little bit of a rude awakening. Patriots are always going to play tough physical football, especially on defense, and they are not going to back down. Like you said, they are not a sit-and-wait type of defense. They never have been, and they're going to bring those matchups to you. And what I'm going to concentrate on when we're watching the Philly offense versus the New England defense is how the line plays because we know – we think we know what the coverage is going to look like. Belichick might throw a wild card and come out with a whole bunch of too high zone and just screw our entire podcast up. You know, that's his right. He's earned it. Uh, but if they do what we think they're going to do, I really want to see Jeff Stoutland's offensive line, which is incredibly well-schooled at picking people up and very physical in its own right, deal with Matt Judon, all the pass rushers, Duggar as a blitzer, which is going to happen occasionally. And see who wins that battle early, who is able to establish dominance, because Belichick is as good as anyone at getting people to go to their counterpunch, right? Taking their primary thing away. You talked about death by a thousand paper cuts through inside zone, and that's what Philly could always lean on last year if they were getting in trouble the big passes weren't hooking up. They could just start pounding, you know, body punch, body punch, body punch. Patriots are very solid in run defense, and they're going to be very physical and aggressive in run fits, especially with middle field closed structures. Again, more guys in the box, and they're going to bring them. They're not going to sit them. And whoever wins that scrum early, I would say first quarter, quarter and a half, is going to kind of set the tone for who can continue to do what they came into the game wanting to do and who's going to have to pivot and adjust based on what's happening. Uh, when we flip it over, Bill O'Brien coming back to the offense is going to bring them a whole level of competency that they didn't have last year. So if that if they have a chance at an upset, that would be where it comes from is they put up a decent amount of points and they make this a absolute, you know, mud ball fight where they're just banging in the trenches. Nobody's scoring a lot of points. Hertz gets hit a few times. And then Bill O'Brien does what Bill O'Brien does and comes up with, say, 20 points and they hold the Eagles to 17 that's the possibility for them to win if the eagles get out and get an early score in that first quarter quickly especially through big chunk plays um it's gonna look a little bit different i'm not sure that the patriots offense is really quick strike so if they start playing from behind i'm not gonna count them out but it's gonna be a more uphill battle for them that's the thing is um 
it, it's it, like Bill is going to play that man coverage until you prove to him that he can't. So I, I would imagine the Eagles are going to come out and try to attack vertically and try to hit on one of those, um, specifically to just get them out of that look, right? They're going to try to hit the deep crosses. They're going to try to hit a go ball to AJ. They're going to test these corners. They're going to do whatever they can to try to scare Bill into, yes, please play cover two. Yes, please play quarters so that we can run the damn ball, right? Uh, it's it's throwing to run, not running to throw. Like, that's, that's probably the game plan we're going to see here. Um, and speaking of Duggar, by the way, you brought him up. I would be willing to bet that if the Eagles are in 12 personnel, the Patriots are going to be in nickel. And if the Eagles are in 11, they're going to be in dime. Specifically because you can put Duggar at linebacker. Um, because if they do want to run cover two, uh, you know, maybe they do want to protect these corners down the boundary. Uh, you know, maybe they do want to leave those corners in the flat so that they can trap all the, the quick little hitters to the flat that Hertz loves to throw. Like he loves to throw short and outside the numbers, right? And just get the, get the gimmies out there. If they want to call cover two to handle that, they're going to need somebody who can run the seam up the middle. Because eventually they're going to run Devontae Smith up that seam and say, we, we can hit that whole shot. Can you run with it? Duggar can. But I, I don't necessarily believe that any of their true linebackers could. So I think that they're going to play dime with Kyle Duggar essentially being a, a linebacker for them if they get forced out of playing all of that cover one that we expect them to play. So it's going to be interesting kind of punch counter punch. And I'm not entirely sure who is going to come out on top, but I definitely think it's closer than people think. Um, I did pull up a lot of the, the pick them information, by the way, I'm going to read off some numbers for you. <laughs> so Hertz is at two thirty nine and a half passing yards, higher mm. or lower, a little lower against bill. But just I would probably go lower I think he's well. going to go over 200, but I don't know. Like 230, 225, 230 is a really good line. 43 and a half rushing. That one I'm going under for sure. Just because I think yeah. they're going to be throwing so many bodies in the backfield. Like, I don't think they're going to let him do all the zone read stuff. So And I'd probably he's going to take punishment in week one if he does. Like, the Patriots are still a team that hits, like, all the freaking time. They bring the lumber. And I'm not sure you really want to start off your season like running Jalen Hurts into what is essentially a brick wall. For the receivers, this one's really tough. So Devonta Smith is at 59.5 receiving, 4.5 receptions. A.J. Brown is at 66.5 receiving, 5 receptions flat. Uh, one of those guys is going higher on yards, guaranteed. Just because it takes it only takes one ball down the yeah. field, right? You know, because they they hit these thirty plus yarders all the time. Like if AJ Brown gets one of those in the first quarter, he's going over. So it's basically you're betting on Jalen Hurts hitting zero deep balls the entire game. That one makes yeah, me yeah, and maybe just not concentrating on Devonta as much as I think he might. Like Devonta Smith is one of those guys, and I don't know that I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on some others. Devonta Smith could be a legit number one elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, I fully believe that Devonta Smith would be a fine alpha number one elsewhere. He's that good. And, again, if they can't run that inside zone, you can kind of whip it up and Devonta's going to be open because 
very hard to get your hands on him off the line. He's got a great route game. He's very precise in his cuts, and he catches the ball when you throw it to him. Like he is, he is very reliable in that way. And Hurts, in a way, is going to use him like a safety blanket. And so I would imagine he might end up with a few more catches, two or three more than that number. And if he does, it's very unlikely that he will be at that yardage number. I believe he'll be over that if he gets that many catches. So that's where I fall on that one. Uh, speaking of safety blanket, Dallas Goddard is at 41 and a half. That's the one that I think I would smash the over just because I think the Eagles, and I say this with respect, I think they might be reduced into 10, 11 play drives a lot in this game. You know, a lot of stick routes to Goddard. You know, maybe you try to hit one of those corner routes on like a smash concept, like what they hit in the Super Bowl where you're just dropping in a shoebox on the boundary because that's the only throw that's there if they start doing all the cover two stuff. Um, I I, I kind of feel like Dallas might lead them in catches in this game just from a schematic matchup perspective and a, and a, a matchup matchup perspective, right? I, yeah, I don't know. The receivers are tough, but Dallas I feel pretty good about. Duggar worries me with Dallas specifically. When you were talking about Duggar and what they're going to do with him, like the guy he's going to cover down the pole is Goddard most of the time. And that, I don't know, though. That's the thing is because the Patriots have like seven guys who are hybrid safety linebacker nickel types. So it's like, I, I don't know who's covering Dallas Goddard. I really have no idea. Yeah, but I guess we'll see. It's challenging. I it's, They're going to get some offense. I mean, it, the way we've been talking about it, it sounds like the Eagles are a toothless team. They're not. They're just going up against what is a very well-schooled and usually tight, like tight from a musical perspective, defensive team like they play well together they don't leave a lot of open gaps they don't have a lot of busted coverages and they're physical but philly's really good their offensive line is extremely good hurts is you know getting better every year that's the calling card and they will they will find their ways uh will they find them enough i think they probably will but i'm with you it's gonna be a closer game than people think let's get to your first game now who do you got Packers Bears this is I'm legally contractually obligated to do this game Um, and it's an interesting game in a different way for the first time in a long time look the Bears are 11 and 29 versus the Packers over the last 20 years and 3 and 17 in the last 10 this has not been a rivalry for all intents and purposes rivalry means each team has a chance to win and the Bears largely haven't for the last you know couple of decades but definitely for the last decade it's Jordan Love's first start as the unquestioned leader of the team uh, on the road in Chicago. It's going to be, you know, <laughs> the schedule makers did them no favors. Um, it's Justin Fields, uh, you know, with a full offseason of a coaching staff that understands him. I think the coaching staff did like him last year. There was a lot of, oh, they don't think they like Justin, but I don't think they understood him until about week six or seven when the offense changed with the bye week. And they really said, okay, this is what we're going to lean into. And this is what's going to help us be successful. They've had that. And so it's the same offense tuned up, plays they like, kept, plays they didn't like, discarded, and a reasonable NFL supporting cast. And anybody that wants to throw stones at the fact that it was not I'll go back to last year. Bears had perhaps the worst wide receiving core in the NFL. Leading receiver was Darnell Mooney, 40 catches in 12 yeah, the, games. The, there's no perhaps on that one. 
Yeah, like, it, ES- it was it was the worst. Yeah, ESB twenty one receptions, Dante Pettis nineteen receptions. Among the wide receivers, those were the three leaders: 40, 21, and nineteen. So don't tell me he had legitimate weapons to throw to. He didn't outside of Mooney. Um, that's not the case this year. He's got DJ Moore. You know, he's got another option at receiving tight end. He's got a very good running back room behind him, which he also had last year that's changed a little bit, but he's got lots of options there. He's got some help on the offensive line, which is a big deal. So this is the, we talk about fully operational battle station all the time. Like this is, it could be better for sure, but this is a much more fully featured offense going against the Packers at home, right? They're going to be, you know, defending home turf, the Bears are. And look, there's, Week one, we have to remember, for all games, this is just a blanket to put over all games. Week one is full of weirdness every single year. Crazy stuff happens and people overreact wildly. Take that times 10 for this game. There is so <laughs> much buildup on both sides. New quarterback in Green Bay, hope springing, <laughs> I'm not going to say eternal, anew <laughs> in Chicago. And whoever wins and consequently loses the fan bases are going to react wildly on both sides. <laughs> Overreact, I would say, no matter what. Fans breathe, relax. It's a long season. Um, we're going to learn some things, but it's week one. Weird stuff happens across the league every week one. So I'm looking forward to the game in a new way for the first time uh, in a long time. I think we are going to see what's real and what's not, at least a little bit on both sides. Uh, and, you know, don't. Don't put too much stock in the outcome because it is week one with a lot of change on both sides. The good news is even though the Bears offensive line uh, felt like every two days we were hearing somebody getting banged up in camp or banged up in the preseason, none of them are on the injury report, which Bears PR just put out about 40 minutes before uh, we recorded this. Darnell Wright, not on it. Nate Davis, not on it. Lucas Patrick, not on it. Cody Whitehair, not on it. Braxton Jones, not on it. It's the first time. In, I don't know, a month and a half that the offensive line's been healthy. I mean, Tevin's obviously out for a bit with a mm-hmm. weirdly improbable double calf strain. I didn't even know that was possible, but so he's out for a while. But other than that, you know, four out of five by bear standards, that's positively healthy. <laughs> God, one year, just one year, I want all five starters on the offensive line healthy going into the year. I swear to God, I would do a backflip. Not going to happen. <laughs> Not going to happen. Gonna so happen. I don't have to do a backflip, which is good because I break my neck and then I'd be on our hour. I I really do uh, want to watch this game specifically. I mean, not just the whole Justin Fields aspect, which we've been talking about for like two years. I just want to see Jordan Love play mm-hmm. like that. That's we've, we've seen one game and it was a game that he got thrown into at the last minute. He wasn't really ready. Um and I can't remember if Devontae Adams was even in that game that he started against Kansas City. He might not have been. Um, but it, we haven't actually seen what Jordan Love can do yet, and I don't count preseason either. This is the first time where he, A, knew he was going to be the starter at the beginning of the week, that he also has an actual game plan, that he has all of his weapons, that he has his offensive line. Like we, We've never seen this, and we're on like year four at this point. So I just want to watch the guy play and just see what he can do. Uh, Cause I think that is one of the most interesting stories in the NFL this season is 
was this gambit that the Packers made almost a half a decade ago worth it? You know, what what was that actually worth it to pass up on all the receivers and take Jordan Love and piss off Aaron Rodgers, right? Um, huge, huge story. I don't really have any scheme stats for this game just because both teams are so different mm-hmm. that I don't think it applies. Like, I don't think anything from last season really translates into this game. It is a blank slate, it is a fresh start, and hopefully it's entertaining. Like, I, I would love for Bears Packers to actually be entertaining again for the first time in oh 15 years maybe a long time and I do want to see Jordan Love play I do put a little bit of stock in the preseason not in terms of judgment right not in terms of he's going to be good or he's going to be bad if I had to venture a guess where Jordan Love's going to be I think he's going to be decent out of the gate I think he's going to be pretty good we've seen some good things in the preseason from him and he's looked comfortable doing them. Now, that was not his end-to-end performances in the preseason because there were some eh in there. And that's, you know, that's if you're a Packers fan, what you're worried about is that there's not going to be that <laughs> rock-solid consistency of a quarterback just able to make plays, you know, nine times out of ten when the NFL average might be six times out of 10 or five times out of 10 on some teams, you could count on Rodgers and Favre making a play the vast majority of the time. I think you're going to see Jordan Love make some of those plays. He has that ability. He's flashed it in the preseason. What you're not going to see is that consistency down to down, drive to drive. You're going to see a couple of great plays and then you're going to see a couple of plays left on the left on the plate. Right. And We'll see how quickly he starts filling in those gaps, but he's looked smooth. He's looked comfortable. He has not looked overwhelmed. He's shown all the physical skills they hope he has. He's still <laughs> still tickling that consistency, and it, that's what's going to be the real kicker when live action starts up, everybody's game planning, people start to get tape on him. So really about game six or game seven, start watching then because he's going to have to adjust all quarterbacks do. I don't care who they are. They get the first, they get a little honeymoon. They get the first five or six games for free. And then people go, Oh, he can't do this. We're just going to push on that nerve until he proves that he can. And then everybody has to pivot. And that's when I'm really you know, sort of after the, like the third pole of the season, right? You get through the first third of the NFL season. Then I'm going to start watching Jordan love really closely and be like, all right, what do you got now? Rook? I mean, cause he is essentially, you know, <laughs> basically <a> starter, yeah. <laughs> he's a rookie. Uh, you know, what do you got now? New fresh starter. Can you, can you bounce it out when DC's, you know, pin their ears back and come after you in the ways that they know will hurt the most. And, but I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna stink it up out of the gate. I think he's too good for that. He's not gonna be super consistent, and that consistency balance is what I'll watch for the first third, and then longer term. Okay, are you are you able to make a difference? Are you a truck? Or are you a trailer? To use DJ and Bucky's analogy, where where are you at in the hierarchy? What are you really doing for the Packers? Today's episode is brought to you by ButcherBox, and I know a lot of you might be familiar with what ButcherBox is already. You know, it's a subscription service where you can essentially create either custom or curated monthly delivery boxes of grass-fed beef or crate-free chicken or wild-caught seafood, and it just saves you a trip to the grocery store. You know, everybody knows that already. What you might not know 
is that they're also a great resource for learning how to cook amazing recipes for yourself. They literally have a whole tab on their website dedicated to a bunch of incredible recipes created by a lot of different chefs for pretty much any cut of meat you can think of. So you can go through all those and then get inspired to make something delicious. And then if you want the convenience, you can just stay on ButcherBox's website and make up a box of all these different cuts that you wanna cook based on those recipes and they'll just send it right to you. I've cooked a lot of meals with the meat that I get from ButcherBox myself. I get boxes every month and all the cuts are really good quality and I've turned them into some fantastic dinners and lunches for me and my wife. So if you're a meat eater yourself, or if you're just a home chef that wants some inspiration for how to cook meat in a new way that maybe you haven't tried before, if you order from ButcherBox and use our promo code bootleg to get literally any order, you will get $20 off that first order. Again, that is $20 off the total price of that first box of whatever cuts of meat you could possibly want just by using promo code bootleg at butcherbox.com bootleg. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, Let's get back to it. Coming back now with my uh, second most intriguing game of this weekend that I want to talk about. Obviously, got to go with the hometown team. Dolphins at Chargers. I will not be at SoFi for this one because I'm, I'm going to be streaming for like 12 straight hours. Um, but I will be watching this game. Don't you worry. Uh, it's a rematch from last year uh, where... I'll, I'll back up a little bit because a lot of people, when they watched last year's game, I think the prevailing narrative was, okay, Chargers denied the middle of the field to Tua. They made him throw outside the numbers. He couldn't do it. It's the Achilles heel. The Dolphins are dead in the water. People are going to force them to throw to the sidelines, blah, 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 blah. I don't necessarily think it was that. Um, if you look at uh, how the Chargers game planned for Miami last year, there was a lot of Vic Fangio DNA in that game plan, which should not surprise you because obviously Brandon Staley's a Vic Fangio guy. What I mean by that is, and I had a very extensive conversation with Coach Vass about this, because um, he was charting uh, receivers that Vic Fangio, as a coordinator, has double teamed and how often he double teams certain receivers because Vic doesn't normally do true double teams right I mean he'll do it but it's he doesn't like base his entire game plan around like I'm taking just this one guy away right uh, with the exception being Tyreek Hill Vic Fangio as a defensive play caller double team Tyreek Hill more than anybody else by a massive margin per Vass's charting and we were kind of going through a lot of the calls that that he used to do that uh and taking that knowledge i then went back to last year's matchup and i was like okay well how did the chargers play against tyreek and it's like oh they double teamed the shit out of him just like vic fangio does with one key exception that 60 yard touchdown that tyreek got it was against press man coverage on the backside of if i recall correctly it was might have been three Mabel. It might have been. Uh, it was some kind of match cover three, but on the backside again, Michael Davis is basically just in press man, right? It's it's a it's a man coverage on the backside of his own coverage, uh, and so it was Michael Davis against Tyreek Hill. You know, press man. He's in phase down the field, and then Davis fell down, and Tyreek got a sixty yard touchdown. That was sixty of his eighty one yards for the game. The rest of the game, he got twenty one yards. Mm-hmm. So. The double teams were working outside of that one play where it wasn't actually a double team. 
Uh, and I, I kind of, again, schematically, I, I was intrigued by that one because they also used a running back and put him behind Tua and created like a fast four situation. So it's like, okay, we got to push the coverage over there. And like, no matter what, we can't put a backside safety over the top of Tyreek. So there was really no way to double him in that coverage. They kind of just pried that one open through scheme. But I think looking at this rematch, they're just going to do the same thing again, which is we're taking Tyreek away. We are doubling him. If he's outside, you know, that's where our cloud corner is going to be. If he's inside, we're playing quarters with the safety and the nickel creating an inside out bracket. We will take our chances with Jalen Waddle. We will take our chances with the run game. We'll take our chances with Eric Azucama. You know, they're willing to give you whatever but they're not going to give you Tyreek. And so I don't think it's a, they denied in the middle of the field and made two a throw outside. I think it's a, they denied Hill and made two a use everybody else. That is the key to this game. If I was going to guess what Miami was going to do to respond, probably run the ball. Um, Again, we're looking at a lot of a lot of different uh, two high coverages here, whether it's quarter, quarter, half, half, quarter, quarter, or just straight up quarters. Mostly two high coverages, not super packed in the box. Um, and I, you know, and looking back at how the Dolphins addressed that last year, they didn't run the ball into those looks. Raheem Mostert had, I think, four carries the entire first half, and he led them with 11 the entire game. They were a 70% pass team in in like the first quarter and a half even going against all those two high safety looks so i i kind of feel like maybe they'll learn from their mistakes there and run the chargers out of those looks to then try to uh open things up for tyreek but it's a very interesting matchup because i think it got mischaracterized last year for what the chargers actually did you know they they weren't they weren't taking away a certain area of the field they were just taking away a certain receiver and the Dolphins just didn't adjust. It's funny. You and I got to the same place by going around the barn different ways. <laughs> we we both think that, you know, the Dolphins are going to run the ball, and I'll talk about why. But one of the funny things about the Chargers, to go back to the Chargers side, is, and I had this sort of weird run-on train of thoughts. You know me. You know my trains are very long and make a lot of noise. <laughs> I was driving to the store this morning and I was like, oh God. Like, so Joe Lombardi was the punching bag in LA because he couldn't get the offense going. And Herbert, yeah. after his amazing rookie year, fell off. So everybody, you know, threw darts at Lombardi and the offense, right? And it gave Staley, a defensive coach who was hired on the strength of his defensive coaching resume, cover, right? It's a smokescreen. You look at EPA per play last year for the Chargers. Pass defense, which you were talking about in your focus on how they're going to take away Hill, ninth in the league. Really good. Mm -hmm. Run defense, 32nd. Yeah, not a good one. (laughs) Like dead (laughs) last. Right? So when you have a coach who is heralded as a defensive coach, and this has been the whisper, right? Like, oh, the Chargers aren't good because of Lombardi, and they got to unleash Herbert. And, oh, by the way, did you see that they can't do dick against the run and haven't been able to now for years? This is not a an unknown. Like, if you dig into the Chargers at all on defense, like, 
the thing you're going to say three sentences in is, man, they got to stop the run. They got to get some guys. They got to scheme. Like, and this is from a defensive head coach, and he has been getting that pass. Oh, he's a first-year head coach. Oh, if the offense supported and the defense didn't tire out. Blah, blah. There's no more passes. Kellen Moore's in the building. We both expect the offense to take a major jump. We expect Herbert to return to somewhere near those record rookie levels. And if that happens, there's no more shelter for Brandon Staley. Like, the defense has to be better. And to do that, like, ninth is a fine ranking against the pass, especially with that much emphasis on the league and passing. We both know that teams that are very good against the pass go do well in the regular season and go farther in the postseason. But if you are stopping the run in the 30s or even the low 20s, define stopping. <laughs> you're, you're not like maybe you're not the right you know, word for it. Right. It's a toll booth. You can't have that anymore. And if that happens, this is where the train went to eventually is the next coach of the Chargers is waiting in the wings. I think that they will be better. Um, primarily because a lot of their issues last year were also due to injuries. Like they, they lost a bunch of IDL <laughs> chargers and injuries. What? I know shocker. <laughs> right. Um, but like looking at their, their defensive line right now uh, with Austin Jackson, Sebastian Joseph day, uh, Morgan Fox playing that four eye slash five technique role on paper. I know it's in them to at least be like 20th. Right, sixteen to twenty. <laughs> I feel like it's we said the exact somewhere. same. <laughs> we we said the exact same thing last year, and I I do think this is the year the bill comes due. If they are not better, and I mean substantially better on that side of the ball, not not as a passing defense again. If they were in the top ten again as a passing defense, great. But if they don't improve substantially against the run, and I mean getting out of the bottom third of the league, they were dead last last year. Even coaches that suffer injuries, they don't end up dead last, like because that's where the Chargers were. So I really think that if they can't get over that hump and they say miss the playoffs, you know, maybe win nine or ten games and miss the playoffs again, I'm not so sure that the Chargers organization is going to be really patient with Brandon Staley moving forward. If Kellen Moore is sitting there as the offensive coordinator and the offense goes as well as we think it does. Look, we all know he's going to get the head coaching cap at some point. The Chargers might say, hey, we're just going to keep this one in-house. And I know the NFL doesn't like that in terms of hiring. But I think that might be a very strong pivot if the defense doesn't rebound. Because we say this every year. They got a ton of talent. <laughs> they yeah. could do it. They got the dudes. This is the year. And then, pop, 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 pop. they don't do it. So they got to do it this year. It's put up or shut up time. I think it's, what is this, year four? No, year yeah. three. For, yeah, or year four. Year four. It's going you into know, year four. It's like you said, at, at some point, you just got to do it. It can't just be almost, you know, yeah. at some point it's, it's got to be. And it can't be injuries and it can't be thing. anything else. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do the damn thing and shut the run down. And if they do that and the offense bounces the way we think it's going to under more, like this team will be what we've thought it was going to be for the last umpteen years. Uh, all right, let's get to your second game. Who you got? I'm going 49ers Steelers. There were a lot of good games. I think there are a lot of good games in week one. This one caught my eye, and I dug into three or four doing sort of the primary research you do to go, is that my choice? Is it interesting enough? And the more I dug into this one, the more I said, mm, no, 
I got to I got to do this one. It's not a traditional rivalry game by any means, but it has a lot of potential in this week one vortex where weird stuff happens that we're talking about. So let's start from the 49ers side on the road. They've got a new defensive coordinator and they're probably going to have a few bumps to iron out. Now he comes from the previous scheme. He has a lot of the same players. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not a massive change situation, but there are always some, I like it this way, not that way communication. You can't just come in and go do as do exactly as D'Amico did like that. That doesn't work. They're your guys. Now it's your call. Um, and they're going to have a few things to iron out. I imagine they'll get over that hump pretty quickly. But again, in week one, that can cause a gap that can cause weird stuff to happen. It can cause some long gains. Purdy's still knocking the rust off. A lot of people were saying he was not even going to start in the first quarter of the season after surgery. Again, his injury happened very late. His recovery has been amazing but in terms of timing he hasn't had a ton of reps with the receivers and getting back up to game speed again it's live now these games mean something it is the highest level of football played on this planet and they might not be clicking early on and if that's the case they're gonna have to go to their counterpunch. that would leave them without i would say some of the most potent parts of their offense and the 49ers also could be without both Nick Bosa and George Kittle. Nick Bosa because of contract, George Kittle because of injury. That is a significant star on both sides of the ball um, that they are going to be without. We all know the margins in NFL games are very, very thin. You pull a, you know, a big player, a big card out of the deck on both sides, that can be game-turning. Pittsburgh at home. Looks like Pickett improved from a promising rookie campaign where he did a lot of good things. But again, I kind of feels like that Jordan Love description of consistency was one where he made some plays, made a few more plays, I think, than a lot of us thought he might. Um, in the preseason, the offense moved when he was in there with the starters. Um, and I'm going to say that newcomers, in air quotes, uh, look to give them a boost on both sides of the ball. My newcomer on offense is Calvin Austin III, largely because he lost all of his rookie season to injury. He's looked pretty good. He's been he's a guy that could give them a spark both in the return game and on offense as a you know third slash fourth wide receiver, depending on how you're lining up. Uh, and then Benton and Herbig we talked about last week as the new dynamic duo on defense. Again, adding to a lot of playmakers they already have on defense, giving them a little bit more firepower to really sort of go after um, us. 49ers line it's a little more has a few more questions than it has in the past uh and then this is the one that really got me we we're both big fans of Mike Tomlin as a head coach Steelers are four and one in their last five home openers and here's the really weird thing although it rarely happens this is their first home opener since 2014 really yeah that doesn't seem possible that Bills game where they took down Buffalo in week one a couple of years ago, where everybody's like, oh, where'd that come from? And it's like, oh, week one Steelers. Okay, makes sense. That was on the road. I didn't even realize that. So they've been on the road for a long time, basically. But overall, under Tomlin, they have an amazing 65.6% winning percentage on opening day, home or away. All opening day games under Tomlin, they win almost at a 66% clip, two out of three. Yeah. So... They start fast. They're not one of those teams that takes a while to get rolling. 
They've got a couple of personnel advantages, I would say. Uh, they certainly have the home advantage for the first time in a long time. Uh, this this could very easily tilt the Steelers' way. And I think if you're looking at who's picking, a lot of people are living off last year's 49ers. And look, they were a powerhouse at the end of the year, and they're just kind of rolling that into their picks and like, oh, yeah, 49ers, they'll beat the Steelers. Not so fast. Steelers are two-and-a-half-point dogs, which in itself, I not – I'm not taking the 49ers in this one. If anything, I'd, I'd if I was just going to go straight up picks, I'd probably take the Steelers. If I'm being perfectly honest, um, but even the pickums for the 49ers seem somewhat generous. Um, I just I I get it, Christian McCaffrey in terms of rushing plus receiving. It, he's always such a, a weapon, but 97 and a half rushing plus receiving for what I think the Steelers are going to do schematically, like they are going to be flying into the backfield. It's going to be a lot of five band services. It's going to be a lot of bare fronts. Um, you know, if I had to pick a winner in the matchup between Keanu Benton and Jake Brennell for who can get front side faster on a zone run, I'm going to go with Keanu Benton. Like I know he's a rookie. I know it's his first game, but he is, he's unreal. Um, and, oh, by the way, Cam Hayward and Larry Ogunjobi are flanking him on either side. So I just – I don't I don't trust that the Niners are going to be able to run the ball here just because of the, the types of fronts, A, that the Steelers like to play and also just the talent that they have up front. Other than Trent versus TJ Watt, the Steelers have an advantage one for one across the entire rest of the offensive line versus defensive line, Right. Um, so I just, I don't trust they're going to be able to run the ball. I don't trust that the bootlegs are going to work because TJ, how the Steelers like to play bootlegs is whoever the backside edge is, go get the quarterback. Like they'll, they'll figure out the cutback lane for the running back, but go get the quarterback, make sure they don't call it because they don't want their guy to get killed. Um, and normally Kyle's response to this type of super fast, aggressive front that's just flying into the backfield and we're playing bare fronts and we're doing everything we can to penetrate. What is he going to call? Counter, right? He's going to pull guys from one way, get them going the other way, wash everybody down. They're going to punish the aggression. They're going to create a wall of human bodies where the pullers can then kick out front side and, and, and you know, we're off to the races. Here's the thing. George Kittle is a huge component of their counter run game, using him as a polar, using him, um, you know, to pick off guys in space, using him to kick out the edge. He is a massive part of what they do when they call counter and he's not going to be there. So I just I don't trust that that counter punch is going to be available to them like it normally would against a team that plays this style of defense. So it's going to be so much cover three an irresponsible amount of cover three like I'm talking like 55% plus here right but I just don't think the Niners have an answer for that I don't think they have an answer for the aggression I don't think they have an answer for the types of coverages they're going to see I don't think they have an answer in the run game and I just I don't know I don't see it like two and a half point dogs for Steelers just seems dumb like, is there any other way to describe <laughs> that? It just seems dumb to me that that's the line we're looking at here. You've wounded me deeply with your Charlie Werner slander. I I love Charlie Werner, but come on, like I know I'm just what giving are we you talking a hard time. about like, here. 
<laughs> he's really, you know, he's really good. But if he's in there, you know that's what he's doing, and that's a head start right there. Like yeah. with Kittle, you you can't cheat and go, oh, well, he's going to block the counter, right? Because you know he's going to give you hands on and be fifteen yards behind you, and you're going to give up a huge chunk play if it's Kittle. Not the case with Warner in the passing game. That's not the kind of plays he's going to be in there for. You know, quite frankly, he's probably not going to get his hands on the ball. He rarely does. He's an excellent blocker, but if he's there, you already know what's happening, right? You can set your angle. You're getting an extra half step. You're getting an extra half tick off the snap of the ball because you know, like, hey, I got to take this guy on. It's going to be physical. It's not going to be easy, but I know what I'm doing. So it does give the Steelers an advantage there. And I'm with you. I don't think them being dogs this feels if anything more like an even matchup and again when you look at you know Tomlin's record in general starting off the season and just really sort of where the Steelers are versus where the Niners are based on how they've come into this season I'd say head up even and if I've got a tilt like if you're gonna tie one hand behind my back and say all right what are you really gonna do I'm probably gonna put a mark for the Steelers all right, let's get to our last game here, our joint pick game, where we uh, put our heads together and contributed to decide who the most intriguing game of the week is. How could we not go Aaron Rodgers' debut with the Jets on Monday Night Football against Josh Allen and the Big Bad Bills? You guys knew what it was going to be. This is the game that everybody's been looking forward to. Um, an incredible amount of hype behind it on both sides, honestly. Uh Bill's Twitter and Jet's Twitter are both in top form this week. So I tip my hat to both of you. It's an awesome matchup. I really can't wait to watch it. There's so many storylines on both sides. And again, Jets have been on hard knocks. And look, press has been 24-7 since Aaron Rodgers decided to join them. Bill's storylines, you know, again, if you are a Bill's fan, a Bill's follower, it never really lets down. Bill's are 24-7 news in Buffalo year-round. And there's some significant changes. Leslie Frazier taking a year off. Sean McDermott, how is he going to handle the balancing, the sort of CEO head coach role with calling the defense? Again, he has a defensive background. It's not that it's new territory for him, but this is, I don't want to say reversion. This is a change, right? Then we'll see. I have a lot of faith that he can do that. But again, rubber hits the road. Can he against what is a very good you know, offense that he'll be trying to contain. And I have news. You have news. I saw your eyes, so I stopped. What news do you have? Might have to make a slight adjustment to the Steelers 49ers game. <laughs> Nick Bosa just signed five years, 170. Good oh. Lord. <laughs> He's going to be motivated. Not that he needs any motivation. Nick Bosa, one of the very best defensive players in the league, not just the edges, you know, a true difference maker on defense. And I kind of felt like they had to get it done, but I was also thinking that it might come a little bit later. Might They might try and toss it in the Friday news dump. Uh-uh. They just said, checkbook, now, <laughs> have, 34 must. 34 million a year. You knew it was going to happen. There there wasn't another way to sign a guy like that because he knows what he's worth. Um, heavyweights get paid, and he got paid, and so, ta-da! Uh, you know, gives them another very good, I would say great, 
arrow in the quiver going on the road against Pittsburgh in week one. So evens it up a little bit. And if Kittle again comes, you know, he's a big wrestling fan comes charging out, you know, is that George Kittle's music? Is he going to play? That would, you know, that's, that's a heel turn. And then again, that, that game might get more interesting, but again, we'll talk more about the Bosa contract later because you know, deservedly so is what I would say. That guy is, you know, when you can say you're better than your brother and your brother's Joey Bosa, you're pretty damn good. I will say it, it Bosa being on the field turns that game into a pick'em rather than me favoring Pittsburgh. Uh, if agree. they just inject Kittle with a bunch of horse tranquilizer and say go play and he's out there, okay, fine. I'll, I'll shade 49ers a little bit, but right now it's an even pick'em. Uh, and they desperately needed Bosa on the field. I'm happy he's back. Yeah, it'll make for a it'll make for a better game, and and us oh, not being fans of either team, just being fans of good football, we want to see the best players on the field in top form, healthy and ready to go. And you know that's one more of them back on the field for you know it's a week one game, but like it's a big fun game. I'm not going to say it's you know season changing. It's not. You can't win it in the first week of the season, and you can't really lose it either. But you can you can set a statement. You can set a tone. All right, let's get back to to Jets Bills. Um, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, uh, I saw I, your eyes like get as big as saucers, <laughs> and I was like, I need to stop. But there's there's a ton of storylines both sides. Um, I'm really interested. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about the defensive transition, but I'm really interested in what this Bills offense can do against the Jets defense because the Jets defense right now looks like an absolute wrecking machine. Like, I don't think anybody's going to have a ton of success against that defense, especially that defensive line. We know how good some of their secondary is. Sauce had a historic rookie year. But that defensive line right now is fully two waves deep, and they are just thrashing folks. And that's going to be, when you have defensive lines like that, it's something that just kind of shreds an offensive game plan within the first within the script right within the first 20 plays you're like well i have three marks here and they're all yellow those were sort of works everything else got wrecked huh that doesn't leave me a lot of options for the next 20 plays i'm gonna call because those guys because those guys are just mashing everything and you know it's like throwing sticks of dynamite in the well (laughs) it's just kind of your whole plan goes to hell and you're like how are we going to survive this that's what the jets defensive line looks like right now um i'm really interested because the bills we talked about how good they were they were our very last pod in the summer preseason you know series review we talked about how historically good this bills team was last year on both sides of the ball This is a very good offense, but they're going against one of the best defensive lines in the league, and I'm fascinated to see what they can get done. When I look at X factors for this game beyond, you know, (laughs) Jets good, uh, I look at the addition of Dalton Kincaid and what it does to the Bills offense, specifically for how they match up against the Jets, which I know sounds like a word salad. Um, but like if no. you look at at how schematically the Jets were playing the Bills last year, they could kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, they could play cover one if they wanted to. They could play cover three if they wanted to. They could do their usual quarter stuff. They could do their usual quarter quarter half stuff. But you could you could tell that 
in terms of on-field threats, the only one they worried about was Diggs. Like they they didn't they didn't seem scared of Gabe Davis. They didn't seem scared of Dawson Knox. And I think adding Dalton Kincaid into the equation significantly changes what the Jets have to do from a coverage perspective. Um, I don't think man coverage is on the table in this game. Like obviously sauce is sauce and he can, he can do his thing, but I don't trust anybody else in the Jets secondary. I don't trust any of the Jets linebackers to handle all these choice routes from Dalton Kincaid without help. I feel like you have to more lean into, uh, zone coverages where it's, Hey, he's in the slot or nickel is outside leverage funneling him inside into his help. And we essentially create an inside outside bracket on him. Um, and, and we're more comfortable, you know, with if Diggs is outside to the boundary, we could try to shove him into the boundary, but we're more comfortable with that. Uh, you know, taking our chances with Diggs than we are with taking our chances with Dalton Kincaid getting free choice routes all day long. Um, so you you can't really play the man coverage here. I think there's also certain zone coverages that you're forced to play when Kincaid and Diggs are next to each other. For instance, mm-hmm. if Kincaid is outside, because we know he can get vertical on you, so you're definitely not putting a linebacker out there. Uh, and and I would even say you you don't really feel good about putting any of your safeties out there too. So you're 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 putting a corner out there. You're having to play some sort of zone match coverage with a corner out there on Kincaid. But if Diggs is next to him in the slot, there's certain brands of quarters that I'm kind of like, ooh, I don't feel good about that either. Like if we're doing a stubby call, which means the nickel has to carry Diggs vertical by himself with no help. I don't feel good about that. You know, so now we have to have that safety bracket digs, which means we're we're running a, if it's like trips, um, okay, we have the backside safety poaching number three vertical. Um, but that means that on the backside, Gabe Davis, either A, we're throwing go routes to Gabe Davis all day, which we know he can do, or if the corner's playing way over the top of him to stop that we're giving him free backside digs, right? So uh, not like Stefan digs, I mean like dig routes, right? <laughs> so the it's other like, digs. okay, <laughs> the other digs dig. on digs. So it's like, yeah. Okay. So we want the backside safety to maybe sit inside of Gabe Davis so that we could play that inside out. But that means that again, we're taking our chances. With, we're taking our chances with everybody else on the front side. And I, I don't know, there's just not like a good answer for it. Um, there's only just a bunch of half decent answers for it because of the fact that you have Dalton Kincaid that can play either outside or inside. And you can kind of use both of them and move both of them around and, and swap different roles between him and Diggs and just find matchups. Right. And just be fucking annoying. Like that's what they're going to be is just annoying by moving these guys all around. My general conclusion is that the Jets were already first in calling quarters last year, all different types of quarters. They're going to do it even more in this game because they feel like that's the only way to keep numbers in the secondary so that they can have leverage advantages against both Kincaid and Diggs at the same time. Like, you, I don't think you can play cover one against them. I don't think you can play fire zone against them. I don't think you can play... Uh, most types of cover three against them 
I just don't trust it. So you have to play quarters and, and quarter, quarter, half. I don't really think, I mean, maybe depending on who's, who's in what spot. Right. Um, and I, I just think that what that does then is it opens up the run game to, it's not even on the front seven at that point. It's on the front six. And it becomes a chess match up front of like, okay, how are you then going to try to play the zone read stuff with Josh Allen with six guys in the box? Like, what's your answer there? So the, the Kincaid addition just changes the math in so many ways. And it makes this game a lot more interesting than just, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson and the Jets defensive line. It's how do you handle the Bills? Because they're a lot different this year than you think, just because of drafting a freaking tight end in the first round. I hope Ken Dorsey was watching college football over the weekend. I doubt he was. I bet he was busy getting ready for this game. But college football provided a bunch of answers for this. And there were no less than three plays that I saw on, well, Thursday through Sunday, because college was long this year. <laughs> where teams rolled out two wide receiver, two tight end sets, and they ran them condensed. Yeah. And if they do that, the Jets are going to be like, because again, Bills are Bills have a slightly different running game, but the Jets are going to be compelled to play base defense. And if you get Jamie and Sherwood matched up on Dalton Kincaid, yes, please. That's the thing is I think they're going to have a general rule of we are not playing base. <laughs> we are our base is nickel no matter what. Like that that man and is a receiver. That's <laughs> He's right. Not a tight and end. <laughs> that man is not real. Uh, <laughs> like they it, but if you play a condensed set, you're bringing all the pieces in and you can run from that. The Bills can run from that and you're going to put a lot of pressure on their corners to set edges, right? Because, again, if you put both tight ends, if you motion, put both tight ends on one side of the set, then what are you doing? Um, there are some really interesting little sort of curl flood routes that were fascinating in terms of, again, levering defenders out of the way. You could tell that what the offensive coordinators were doing is, okay, I'm going to take this to move this guy. I'm going to take this to clear that guy. And then I want this guy. He's coming basically third into that area, and he's got you know, the third best defender available and he's already got two clear routes running ahead of him. And if Ken Dorsey was watching that, he's going to pull a couple of those for Kincaid and it's going to hurt because Kincaid can, he can pay those off. He can make good. He can make big chunk gains that are going to scare you a little bit and make you change what you're doing. And again, any team that can do that to any other team to make you get out of what you were doing primarily to now adjust to us, then you're dictating tempo. And I'm with you. Kincaid's a fascinating lever to allow the Bills to be able to do that this year. I think the only way that we see cover three out of the Jets is if the Bills just come out in a bunch of like really... Again, condensed, but two by two looks, right? With two threats on one side, two threats on the other, um, you know, whether under center, pistol, or gun, you know, but just mm -hmm. in terms of receivers, two and two. I think that's kind of the only way that we see cover three from the Jets, but I don't really think the Bills are going to call much of that. Like, I think they're going to do trips. I think they're going to, of, of all types, right? I think sometimes mm -hmm. Kincaid's going to be the isolated guy, sometimes it's going to be Gabe, sometimes it's going to be Diggs. I could even see them 
doing like some nub stuff where like Dawson Knox is is the Y, and then we have uh, Kincaid, uh, Diggs, and Gabe all next to each other, right? Just cause, uh, like I, I I don't I don't I don't see them making it easy on the Jets by saying we're going to bring everybody into the core and everything's going to look even and, and you could just call your little rip Liz match cover three and play out your rules and, and we're going to make it simple on you. Like, I don't think it's going to do, I don't think they're going to do that. I think it's, it's, Hey, we are forcing space and matchups and we are going to go vertical deal with us, you know? So it's, it's going to be a fascinating game. And we didn't even really talk about the jets offense versus the bills defense that much. Like what do you do against Garrett Wilson? You know, he he is such a problem. And, and I get it. The receiver depth is not great in New York, but it wasn't that great in Green Bay either. You know, <laughs> when it was Garrett and, or when it was Aaron and Devante, right? It was Aaron, Devante and Lazard. It's just you swap out Devante for Garrett Wilson at this point. I just man, I don't. I don't trust any DB with the Bills. And that's a great secondary, but I don't trust any of them on Garrett Wilson. So it's like every third and seven, you're, it's going to be the same problem that people ran into in Green Bay. It's like, what are you going to do when you know that Devontae is going to convert it and you can't do anything about it? I don't know. Guess we'll just die. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> guess I'll guess I'll just die. I think it, they have to sort of. It's going to be extremes. Either they're going to take a more Fangio-like approach and say Garrett Wilson will not beat us. We are going to make sure he is bracketed. Six ways from Sunday, tripled sometimes. No way Garrett Wilson beats us. We're going to make Aaron go to his other guys. Now, they know, like everybody knows, that Aaron can go to his other guys. But that's their choice, right? It's pick your poison because there are too many good options on the Jets' offense. There are some teams like that where if you take away their number one, they don't really have a pivot. Jets have many, I would say, pivots. And now a quarterback that can hit them all. So, but it's just a choice. So they're either going to do that or they're going to say, nobody else gets anything. We know Garrett's going to get his, but we don't think he and Aaron can make enough noise to keep up with our offense. So we're going to single up and he's going to get his. He's going to come out with, you know, 127 yards and a touchdown or two, but nobody else is getting anything. We're, we're going to take those other resources and just smother every, shut off everything else. So there, it's, that's, extremes but i think that's the extremes that the bills are going to go to and they you kind of have to it's just pick your poison because you can't do it all you can't you can't triple garrett and cover all the threats uh but if you just leave him leave him alone he could have a 200 yard two touchdown game he is that talented for reference by the way there is no uh week one numbers for this game i don't think they put him out yet on underdog, but there are season long numbers still available. Uh, and we have Stefan Diggs at 1145 and a half receiving yards on the year and 99 and a half receptions. And then on the jet side, Garrett Wilson, the man of the hour, uh, 1150 and a half receiving yards and 88 and a half receptions. So if you feel good about either of those, uh, again, promo code, Bootleg over at underdogfantasy.com will match your deposit up to $100, and you get access uh, to that free special for week one, which off the top of my head, again, I believe was Mahomes, over half passing yard. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, when we went over the 
Chargers Dolphins game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Tyreek's number because we mentioned that he was just going to get doubled like absolute crazy. Yeah, uh, Ty- Tyreek's number is eighty five and a half receiving, which is higher than he hit against the same defense last year. And again, he hit that he hit that number uh, because a corner fell down on a sixty yard touchdown. But the rest of the game, he was he was pretty locked up. I'm not going to tell you guys what to do, but I am telling you what I'm doing, and that is smashing under on Tyreek Hill for week one. So Wow. Anyway, that's just me. Overall, well, very fun week one slate ahead of us. Yeah, back to Diggs and Garrett Wilson. I think I'm taking over on the yards for both, and I think I'm taking over on the catches, but only for Garrett. Yeah, nine, hitting 100 catches for Diggs just because of the addition of Kincaid, I don't feel super great about that. Not that I don't think Diggs is amazing, but I think I think Kincaid is going to have uh, a very, very, very nice rookie year and might cannibalize a little bit of that. And then Garrett Wilson, I don't, I don't even care what the number is at this point. I'm taking the over on anything. <laughs> yeah, like, pretty much. You, just... you could tell me 1,200 yards, and I'm like, okay. Not yeah. even flinch taking the over on that. All right. Uh, we have a lot coming up for the rest of the season. We have, what, three-plus pieces of content coming out every single week between now and the Super Bowl. Every single Monday, we're going to have kind of like a quick little reaction show that we're going to do crack acid on on Monday morning, basically, <laughs> uh, to get that out for all of you guys reacting to Sunday games. Not going to be uh, crazy production values or anything like that, but I know a lot of you are 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 always asking us on Monday morning like so what'd you think and and we never actually had a Monday morning show so we're gonna do that this year uh and then obviously we have our Thursday night streams on this channel during every single TNF game uh which will be much more of a production you know whiteboard different stats and analytics that we're pulling throughout the week uh a lot going on for the Thursday streams and then we have these shows every single Friday uh previewing the next Sunday slash Monday slate of games, at least the five that we find the most intriguing. So uh, stick around during the rest of the season. We have a hell of a lot of content coming your way. EJ, any final thoughts? Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) The season is here. This is going to be so much fun. We get to, we get to bring you even more content again. Massive thanks to underdog for supporting the show. It is largely because of them. Got all kinds of fun surprises uh, rolling out in the early weeks of the season and just can't wait. We're going to be working on our travel schedule. So we'll let you all know if we're going to be in cities for games, when that's going to happen, probably have some meetups as well. It's just, more and better uh, i was going back and forth with nick at underdog and he was like bootleg to the moon and i was like yeah that's pretty much our strategy for the year <laughs> it's our hopes our dreams our strategy whatever you want to call it uh we're, we're gonna do our best to make as much cool shit for you as we can uh, over the next six months i want to thank our executive producers once again uh, marat consti andrew liam connor and Mike L., those are everybody in the executive producer tier over on Patreon that also helped to make this show possible in the first place. We could not do this without you guys. Um, also want to thank Homage, our clothing sponsor. If you guys are in the market for any new team gear, like they have an official NFL license with 30-plus designs for every single team. You want starter jackets. You want T-shirts. You want throwback logos. Uh, they have basically everything. Like They even have Grateful Dead 
gear for NFL teams. So uh, whatever happens to tickle your fancy, or if you just want to browse the catalog and just check them out, see if anything uh, piques your interest. Uh, if you scan either the QR code that's on the screen right now, if you're watching this on TV or on desktop or anything like that, or if you go to the link in the description below, that'll take you to our link, and then we get a cut of whatever sells. So uh, thank you to Homage for also supporting this show through that. Uh, we will be back Monday morning discussing all of these games that we probably got very wrong. Can't wait for those comments. That's right. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in a few days. Bye.